Please stand with me in honor of the word of God. As I read from Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe seated. We're reading either through the Bible app, read scripture, or through uh, a handout of the Bible this year together. And as we uh, finish this week, as of yesterday, we finished Genesis. We're also, as Rifle said, into Psalm chapter 17. And so as you were reading this and reading Genesis and finishing up Genesis, we see that the whole last portion of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. Why so much time spent on the life of Joseph? I titled this sermon, Joseph, his brothers, especially Judah, and the providence of God. When we look at this text, we see that we read today, we see Joseph and his brothers. We see that sovereign providence of God, what Joseph said to them. This verse that uh, sums up who God is throughout all of Genesis. Verse 20, where Joseph says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So this is a key to understanding uh, Genesis, and it's a key to understanding God throughout all of the Bible, his providence to uh, confirm his promises and to fulfill them. So Genesis, this 14 chapters, and the content is basically almost a third of Genesis, again, is spent on the life of Joseph. Think of that, this beginning book of Genesis. So chapters 37 to 50, we see the beginning, Joseph at age 17, and ending with Joseph dying in the last chapter in words of Genesis at the content in the Lord at the age of 110. 
Here's what I want to look at. I know you all read this uh, this week, and I hope you got into the story, Teresa and I, in reading it in the mornings. There were times where it got so emotional, as we see in this text today. It's emotional, where Joseph says, Now please forgive the sins of the servants, slaves, uh, of, of the God of your father. And when this message was coming to them, this, and when he was speaking, it says, Joseph wept. So there is a lot of that emotion going on in this really dysfunctional family. Uh, just a, so many things happening here. And uh, I grew up in a family of 12, actually. I'm the youngest of 12 children from the same mother and father. And uh, we had some of those same things. It was a great blessing. It was a lot of fun. We were the family to come to in the neighborhood uh, of all ages, <laughs> from me when I was five years old to my brother who was returning from the military, you know, at 25 or 26, I think I was six or seven when he returned, so he was in his late 20s, and in between that was 12 kids, and uh, there was some craziness that went on, but nothing that compares to this story today, but it did cause me to weep along with Joseph and his brothers, but specifically I want to look at uh, three things. We'll look at the story that's interwoven between Joseph and his brothers, but specifically with Joseph and Judah. So I don't know if this jumped out to you in your reading of chapters 37 through 50, but there was the mention of Judah. Judah rises to the occasion. He's the one that speaks for the brothers on several occasions. So we'll look at that. Uh, you could call it a juxtaposition that Scripture is doing. It's showing Joseph and Judah in their life, and they will play very prominently in the final, uh, next to the last chapter, in the blessing that comes to them. Two, I want to look at God's sovereignty and providence in the life of Joseph, which is really summed up in, in, in everything in that verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And thirdly, we'll see how that story points to Christ. And then obviously we'll have some personal applications to our own life. So the word of God begins with this story of Joseph in Genesis 37. Verse 2 says, these are the generations of Jacob. And then it starts right into Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. So Genesis 37 begins this story of Joseph, but then immediately you see juxtaposed to that, you see Judah in verse, chapter 37, verse 26. Judah said to his brothers. So Judah jumps out, and he's the one that recommends, in, in verse 26, he says, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Question mark. So he's going to play in verse 27 on greed. He says, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, our, let, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. They listened to Judah. Judah's recommendation is not to live him, leave him in that pit and kill him. You remember Reuben, the oldest, was going to leave him in that pit and come back and get him later. So as you read this story, you see this, but you see Judah come out, and it's Judah that they listen to. In, in chapters 38 of Genesis, in chapter 39, the scripture does the same thing. It juxt juxtaposes Judah with Joseph, and it compares them. In chapter 38, verse 1, it says, It happened at that time that Judah went down 
from his brothers and turned aside. And you see that. And to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira, it goes into that whole chapter is a story about Judah. I hope you read it. But Genesis 39 starts off with Joseph. It's, it's uh, contrasting them, comparing them, letting you see the difference. Joseph also goes down somewhere. But he doesn't just go down, he's brought down. He's brought down to Egypt. And he ends up in the house of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of Egypt. He had been brought down. They had brought him, uh, the Ishmaelites had, and brought him down there. And they sold him to Potiphar. Joseph is a slave. So Judah went down. Joseph's brought down. You see this comparison of these two chapters. The main thing that is contrasted here is that Judah in his chapter is that Judah is sexually immoral. This is just one of the comparisons. And Joseph is not. Joseph has the opportunity of leading Potiphar's house. Says he's very handsome, attractive, well-built. And Potiphar's wife starts lusting after him and trying to get him to sleep with her. And Joseph flees sexual immorality. And Judah doesn't. Judah gets and falls to sexual immorality. You see these things just juxtaposed with one another. You see their lives juxtaposed in, in that Judah's not blessed. He has two children by this woman. They both do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. The Lord brings them to death, causes their death, strikes down their death. Then Judah lies to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and says he, will, he, he promises to give her his third son, Shelah, and he doesn't do that. Judah doesn't fulfill his promises, and his whole household is not blessed, whereas you see Joseph is, is blessed. I mean, God's with him, it says. The favor of God's on him. Uh, wherever he is and all around him in Potiphar's house, they're blessed. People are blessed. People under him working are blessed. There's this whole blessing. And you see these things contrasted in these two chapters. But then you get to the, this continued story of Joseph and his brothers, and especially Judah. And in Genesis 44, you see Judah again when they bring Benjamin to his famine is so horrible in the land. And, and you hear in Genesis 44, 16, Judah said, you see Judah prominent here. In Genesis 44, 18, he said, then Judah went up to him and said, he comes right up to Joseph, and they don't know each other yet, and they don't know this is their brother, and they said, and, and then he sums up. Judah is speaking for the brothers, and in Genesis 44, 32 through 33, he gets right up to Joseph, and he recounts the whole story of, I can't leave without Benjamin. I can't go back to my father without him. I will not. Judah stands up here. You see, and he says, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. I made that pledge, and I ain't leaving here without Benjamin. So what, what does Judah say in verse 33? He says, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. He's offering to substitute himself for Benjamin, who Joseph has set up by putting this cup in their grain. 
and yet he sees the brothers very different than when he was a 17-year-old boy. He sees this other son of Rachel, who he was. Joseph and Benjamin were sons of Rachel. They were favored by their father, favored sons. And he sees, though, they're not treating him like they treated him. He sees Judah, who once sold him out to a slave. Judah, rather than selling out the other son of Rachel, Benjamin, as a slave, like he did with Joseph, he's now willing to give himself as a slave in the place of Benjamin, the substitutionary sacrifice, so that Benjamin can return with his brothers to their father, Jacob. It's a moving scene. I think I was just, I don't know, maybe I was just emotional this last week, but I was just wrapped up in the story. And I believe the Word of God should be that to us. Sometimes when it's a real tearjerker, you know, tears, it's okay to flow from our eyes, too. And I think the Word of God should be that to us. Jesus quoted out of Deuteronomy when he was facing Satan in the wilderness. And Satan said, here's this stone, turn it to bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I wonder if we believe that about God's word. I wonder if we meditate over it. I wonder if we think, if I don't get up and feast on the scripture this morning, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be really faint by the end of the day. I wonder if we believe the words of Jesus, that we cannot live. We cannot live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this year, what we're trying to do is meditate as a body on the Word of God and Word of Scripture. And all year long, I'm going to be preaching from texts we're reading together as a body. And I hope you're meditating on it. I hope you're like, what's Bobby going to preach in on uh, the text that we're reading together as a body? And I hope you're up on, on what I'm preaching in this story. We need, we need that. We need God's Word more than ever. But we see this moving time where we see this healing then of what happens there with what happens with Joseph. When Judah is moved this way and he speaks these words this way and he's willing to, this Judah that sold him out and said, hey, let's get some money off of him. Now all these years later, can you believe it? They don't even know this is their brother. I wonder what Joseph looked like all built and toned and, and Egyptianized, gold change, you know, just how they just, the slave boy at 17 that they sold him now is this man leading Egypt. They just can't imagine. They can't even see that this would be Joseph. And yet Joseph in Genesis 45 reveal, reveals himself. He burst out in tears. He can't hold it in when he sees Judah and the repentance of his brothers willing to stand by Benjamin and not sell him out, but literally saying, I will be here for him. You let him go and return it to his father. So moving in this story that Joseph breaks out in tears and weeps, and he's groaning and moaning so loud that all of the Egyptians and servants and outside of the rooms can hear him. I mean, this is a moaning, groaning, weeping, unashamedly crying going out. And in verse 15 of chapter 45, it says he kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. And then after this, his brothers talked with him. That's interesting, little ending thing. I just kind of caught my eye. His brothers talked with him. 
They just talked. They just had a conversation. We see the healing with tears, but we hear that we see this, the healing of just civil conversation, being able to talk to one another in a civil way, compared to how it was all those years before, how this story of Joseph began in Genesis 37. Verse 4, right at the very beginning, it says, His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. They couldn't have a civil conversation with Joseph. They hated him that much. That's some pretty serious dysfunction going on in the family. But here you see healing. Here you see weeping. Here you hear this little close of Genesis 45, 15, and his brothers talked with him. What a beauty of the forgiveness of God and the openness of Joseph to just forgive them and be their brother again. Then in Genesis 49, we see the blessing juxtaposed of Judah and Joseph. You see these little short snippets of all the family. Some of them don't get much of what looks like a blessing to me. Uh, But when it gets to Judah, you see this long portion of Scripture. And then when it gets to Joseph, you see this long portion of Scripture of this blessing. And they're very, they're different in some specific promises. But the eloquence of the prophetic word over them and the inside of what their lives will become is very interwoven. And that's what I want you to see in this first point of this interwovenness between Judah and Joseph. They're different juxtaposed in scripture they're put here and there in in 38 and 39 they're put in the first chapter of 37 they're juxtaposed in 44 and 45 and they're juxtaposed here in this blessing joseph and judah brings us to this conclusion that god is working out sovereignly to fulfill his promises and that he will raise up this ruler from judah but he'll look a lot like joseph in this story He'll raise up a lion from the tribe of Judah, but he will look a lot like Joseph. Because Joseph, in this sovereignty, he brings this out in Genesis 45 uh, when he's revealing himself to his brothers. Verses 4 through 11, I'll read portions of this. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. So we're moving into the second point about seeing the sovereignty, the providence of God in Joseph's life. Listen to how Joseph sees it and how Scripture is getting you to see who God is in this story. He sent me here, it was to save lives. God sent me ahead of you. Can you, can you hear that? God sent me ahead of you. He doesn't see his brothers selling him into slavery. He sees God sovereignly by his providence working in his life. God sending me ahead of you. And he says two years have gone by and there's famine in the land, but there's going to be five more years. The next five years there will be no plowing or or, or harvesting or reaping. And God sent me before you. He says it again, over and over again. He's seeing his life, and Scripture wants you to see his life with the providence of God upon the life of Joseph. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive 
for you many survivors. Verse 8, so then it was not you, he's telling his brothers, that sent me here. This is is amazing. But God, God sent me. Then he goes, he made me, God made me. Father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. God did that. Now hurry back to my father and say to them, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Go back and tell him who Joseph is, Lord over all Egypt. The people you're coming and bowing before, the man that you're coming and bowing before is nonetheless Jacob than your son Joseph, and he's still alive. The lie we told you and brought back his robe of many colors, the technicolored robe of Joseph dipped in blood, that was a lie of ours. But come, because there's still five more years of famine. And here's what Joseph tells them. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Five, this is a severe famine. People are just dying like, I just envision it as cattle in the field, just dying of starvation, heat, drought, just dying all over. And you think two years has been bad. Joseph said, there's five more years of this. And... God ordained and showed Joseph that through the dream that he gave to Pharaoh. And this is how Joseph has risen to this place of being Lord over all Egypt and ruler over all Egypt. God sent me. God sent me, he says. God sent me. You didn't send me. It was not you. And it was God. God made me. God made me Lord of all Egypt. Go back and tell our father God made me ruler over all Egypt. So this verse comes to prominence in our text today, Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. It's exact juxtaposed again that exactly how his brothers intended it, meant it to harm him, meant it this way. God, in reverse, meant it and was sending Joseph in exactly the opposite way. God was doing exactly something opposite and different, but in a way that was meant for good. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see God's providence here. And in God's providence, Tamar and her son Perez from fathered by Judah would be preserved and this prophetic blessing of Judah would come to pass because of Joseph and his sustaining them through these seven years of drought, especially these last five years. So Judah rises to be this lion, this blessing, this lion of the tribe of Judah that Revelations 5 speaks about. Revelations 5, 5 through 6 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is how Revelation refers to Jesus, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This Genesis 49 uh, blessing upon Judah is fulfilled in Jesus. God's sovereignty is uniquely pointing to Judah and Joseph and this story and that Jesus is that one. And so that's our third point, that Joseph points to Christ. 
in Genesis 49, 8, in that blessing, it's really clear in the first verse, this interwovenness between Judah and Joseph, because it says, Judah, here's the blessing. First thing is Father Jacob blessing. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Did they praise Joseph? Yeah, they came and praised him as Lord. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. I mean, it, it wants us to see this. Because what had they just done? All the father's sons had all come and bowed before Joseph. And now this prophecy of this blessing is upon Judah. That Judah, all of your father's sons shall bow down before for you. And it goes on to talk about this lion. And this is the story ending in Revelations that Jesus is that lion from the tribe of Judah. This Messiah that will come from the line of Judah, but will look a lot like Joseph. He'll look like Joseph because he's the favored son of their father. Joseph was the favored son of his father. Jesus is the favored son of the father. At his baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There is no one with the favor and blessing of God upon them any more than Jesus. And Jacob had that for Joseph. But what happened? Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus was hated by his brothers. He went to his own, but his own received him not. He was betrayed. They were both betrayed for pieces of silver, both by people who were intimately close to them. And then through their lives, through their humility and through their suffering, if you look at the life of Joseph, you look at his humility, you look at his suffering, he was taken in chains This is how Psalm 105 tells the story of Joseph. Listen to this. We get some insight here from the psalmist. In Psalm 105, verses 16 through 19, it tells the story this way. When he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. What he promised to Joseph before it came to pass, he was put in fetters and irons and a collar on his neck. He was led as a slave down to Egypt. And we see the suffering, his, his false accusations when he rises in Potiphar's house. He's thrown into jail and prison. And even there he's blessed and rises to help lead and bring organization and blessing within the darkness of prison. But everywhere he suffers, and so does Jesus. We see that the Messiah looks very much like him. He's a favored son. He's hated by his brothers. Um, Jesus had been betrayed for pieces of silver, betrayed by Judas, Someone so close to him that ate bread from his table. The psalmist said he would be betrayed by someone who ate bread at his table, and he was by Judas. And and through both of them and through their suffering, they became rulers. They become kings. Jesus became king through this crown of thorns, through what he suffered. and, And Joseph was lifted up through suffering, through all these sufferings, Slavery in Potiphar's house, 
doing the right thing, yet getting falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into jail, forgotten there for two years by, after he interprets the dream, all these things of suffering and just waiting and waiting for God's sovereign time to lift him up to be ruler. Jesus waiting patiently, betrayed, all these similarities coming together in the life of Joseph and Jesus. Because Joseph's story is the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of glory that comes only through suffering. It's the story of exaltation through humiliation. It's the story of the cross and the crown. Joseph's life culminates with an end, the Messiah. What does that mean to us? What does all this uh, mean to us, and how can we apply it? to our lives. I think the big picture of the Bible, this narrative of Judah and Joseph juxtaposed is the story that doesn't just conclude Genesis 50, but it is showing the providence of God that God will stick to his word, he'll stick to his promise, and he'll fulfill it in these impossible ways that are impossible for for men to see. And in our lives, a lot of times, we can't see either. We can't see why we're going through these things. We can't see why we're going through these sufferings. We can't see why we're going through these hardships. But we know and trust that we're going through them for our own good. This is what the scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produced endurance in Joseph. Suffering, even Jesus, he was obedient through the things that he suffered, created this endurance and this endurance produced the character of who they were and in Joseph's life you see that as he endured being thrown into a pit sold into slavery falsely testified against thrown into prison forgotten we see that it creates the person that Joseph came to be it produced the character in his life that 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 creates this hope that is in the sovereign will of God over your life and not all of the cultural things happening around you, the circumstances, but it it lets you know that your life is in the hands of God. This is applicable to the shalom that we experience in our own life, even in the midst of hardships and sufferings. I was looking over one of the sermons that, uh, of Piper's, John Piper, and he said, why didn't God prevent Joseph from being sold? Why didn't he prevent the slander of Potiphar's wife? Why didn't he prevent, does it sound like questions we ask about God? Why don't you, why are you, why don't you? And he sums up and he says, because God's way is to bring his people into peril for his wise purposes, all the while planning through that peril 
their deliverance. Our hardships, our sufferings not only create character, they, they are the reason and bring us into the fullness of the deliverance God wants for us. For, from our own idolatrous hearts, from our own pride. I wonder what Joseph would have been with that coat of many colors and all of that favoritism from his father if he wouldn't have gone through what he went through. And we see that this is the message of Joseph and this is the message of the death of Jesus and the whole Bible. That God reigns in his sovereign love over his people and he does bring us into peril all the while he is working out our salvation. And he did it through the cross. He did it through Jesus. He did it through the example of Jesus. And the application for us is, is Jesus and the word of God and in scriptures, Jesus told us that we would have much tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And in Acts 14, 22, the word says, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. We will go through many tribulations, saints. Be ready, be prepared, and know that God is sovereignly working in your life. The psalmist said this in Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them and delivers him out of them all. This is the word of the Lord. And all the people said, amen. As we move into a time of, of communion with the Lord, um, there's these little cups and if you're here with us in front of the seats in front of you there's one of these little uh, cups of grape juice and the bread is on top if you peel that back get to the bread and we'll celebrate the invitation of the Lord to come to his table come to the place of blessing come to the place where shalom peace order the blessing of God flows. No matter what you're going through, you can come to this table. And when we remember the Lord Jesus in this, we'll do this in remembrance of him. And what will we do? We'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is representing of that cross that he suffered. Know that if you're suffering, Christ suffered. Remember his death until he comes. Remember the blessing and the forgiveness that comes in this cup and in his body. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat of it. Let's partake of the bread. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup. Father, we thank you for your precious blood flowed from Calvary's tree. He ultimately became a curse so that we could receive the blessings given to Abraham 
We thank you for the blessings of your shalom in our life, even through the hardest pain. And we do ask questions, where are you, God? Help us to see your sovereign plan in the life of Joseph and all he endured. May we endure. May you build character in our lives and endurance and not giving up. Give up. Steal that in your people. Us at Grace Harvest Church, your church here in Riodoso, Lincoln County, and your church in the world. Let us be people built, built up in our character through the endurance of sufferings, Father. Help us to worship you right now, knowing our hearts to give you the praise that you alone are worthy of. You alone deserve all of our praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Let us worship.